Oh, the worst wrong crown. Yes. What movie? Uh, Exodus, God's Names. Which is um, what's the uh, what's Christian the, Bale? Christian Bale, and he's wearing a vulture headdress. Queen's <laughs> He's wearing a vulture headdress. It's um, you can't make that shit up. Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney, in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Hello. Hi, Jordan. How are you? I'm good. You know, I I, I took a couple weeks off. You all need this time? To, I mean, not formally because I was still <laughs> working, but yeah. I took so much of my time, I... When I have spare moments, I'm always busting some side hustle, mm-hmm. and I didn't bust any side hustles for the last couple of weeks. And instead, I watched Downton Abbey from episode from season two onward, and um, and that that was an interesting break. I know Sybil dies early on, and I had remembered I stopped watching it because I was like, I was going through a divorce and I couldn't handle all of yeah. the human conflagrations and I was like no nope, can't watch it and so I'm like oh I'm gonna watch this and it's so much like a silly soap opera I, know, I had forgotten um but I'm able to watch it now and, and I had fun and um so I did that for the last two weeks and now I've put it away I've watched to the end you feel and I'm I'm jumping into Coffin's book with both feet and I feel like I can do that I get some time yeah recharged yeah I'm good. doing the same thing. I feel like I needed a little little break and then I'm getting back into this stuff. So it's good. But you just need time to like let your brain Yeah. Like watch mindless television or something like this. And yeah, because if you're about the things. if you're constantly on an anxious edge mm-hmm. trying to think, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? it just takes it's so much energy. Happen. It's not yeah. gonna happen. You have to let yourself rest yeah. and then you can find real energy to get things done in a way that's more useful. Exactly. So yes creativity mm-hmm. something authentic rather than i don't know forced this post-capitalist world that makes us feel like we must be working constantly mm-hmm. right and everyone else is working constantly why aren't you and what's yeah. your side hustle and it's it's rather it's exhausting unhealthy. super unhealthy. Very unhealthy i agree hopefully everyone's took some time off to themselves over break mm-hmm. uh winter break uh holiday didn't get season. too much covid didn't get too much covid i know everyone seemingly got covid i feel like I got it. Yeah. Even boosted. I somehow like have avoided it. I feel like all those memes going around with the like dodgeball, like you're mm-hmm. in the back and like everyone's getting yeah. You're like somehow dodging it. But you you were well boosted, so maybe you know that and like I think it's just yeah, just chance. I think boosted people, if they had taken tests throughout, would have shown a positive. Yeah, Omicron. I wonder if it's like you've had it and you just don't even know. Yeah. So I I get tested about once a week. Oh, you still do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I don't test that much. And we only, and when, of course, we were sick, I wasn't able to get the tests until yeah. I could and my tests were all negative, but I'm still pretty sure I got yeah. it. So I don't know, but I think, I think I did. Yeah. No, yeah, I just test once a week just to know. So. Because UCLA housing. UCLA housing that. wants us to do it. Um, but it's like, it's free. It's there. It's like, yeah, it's great. Just, might as well. Yeah. It's great. So yeah. And we'll save all the rapid tests for, <laughs> hoard them. 
whenever we need them otherwise. Um, yeah, I should have come to you. Yeah, I needed a rapid test. Got one. But yeah, so and we're apparently going back to campus. Yes. The word on the street. We're going to start teaching in person January 31st, and I have to decide what to do with this graduate seminar that we're doing that has lots of international people yeah. watching on and participating, and what do we do? Um, we'll talk amongst ourselves and figure yeah, out what to do with it. Mm -hmm. But it's seemingly easier just to stay on. I know, right? Maybe. Just yeah. yep. Crazy. Hopefully. And I think we're going to go back. Down. Yeah, we're going to go back to normal. I mean, not that anything not in the on the globe is normal these yeah. days and not that it will be no normal for decades to come but going back to campus and having that life might be a it's nice normal. way to create a new yeah. world yeah yes. for the undergrads it's mm -hmm. very taxing yeah i can imagine oh i was at my um son's school and i was talking to the principal and he was saying how the kids who have suffered the most are in the fourth grade and the sixth grade hmm. because the ones now he's yeah. like they never got a chance to develop in person and they were at home for so long mm. year and a half yeah for these little kids that's mm -hmm. like a huge portion of oh, their yeah. lives and they didn't gain maturity they didn't gain emotional resilience yeah, they they're all like stunted and and they can see it all of the teachers can see that these kids like kind of lose their yeah their shit for yeah. simple things and it was um so yeah i know so that's all the elementary school kids I was like, yeah, oh my goodness it's um yeah super sad yeah it's hard I, I feel bad for i know on the news and stuff they're always talking about schools going back and mm -hmm. all the tumult that goes with that but it's also like for the kids is it better but then also not getting covid is good too so it's i know it's all hard well anyway yes. we're all going back so it's exciting hopefully <laughs> i'm always very like eh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Tentative optimism. Well, today, yes, it's an exciting topic to cover, and I have a spiel here. Yeah. Did you love Brendan Fraser and the Mummy? Of course. And did you love Stargate? Stargate, not as much, but there were parts of Stargate that I really liked, mm -hmm. um, particularly the academic parts, yes. even though they were a bit over the top. Mm -hmm. But I thought they were awesome. But the Mummy, for all of its ridiculousness, yes. I still love. I love. Yeah. But did you scoff? I don't know if you've seen these <laughs> movies. At Gods of Egypt. It's a leading question. Yeah. Exodus, Gods and Kings. I scoff at them all. Yeah. Scoff, major scoffing. And that weird show on USA about Tutor Common with Ben Kingsley. I was a consultant for that. <gasps> I consulted. No, but I got the script. And by the time I got the script, I'm like, you guys, this isn't Game of Thrones. But you didn't also know they were going to cast all these. I'm not like in people. charge of any of those things. So I, you know, I say what I say. And yes. my consulting only gets so far. And we'll But yeah, that. I scoffed at all of it. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. So if you haven't keyed in, today we're going to be talking about representation, reception, appropriation of each egypt in uh western popular culture orientalizing yeah. willful participation by a new egypt in that orientalizing mm -hmm. um which yeah. is interesting in and of itself yeah so here we go all right so a lot of people talk about this phenomenon mm -hmm. of representation of ancient egypt use of ancient egypt things like this as egyptomania right um can you describe what this term is because it pops up a lot of times in the literature and a lot of books pop culture pop, you know popular culture books on ancient egypt they use egyptomania 
some people define it in different ways. How do you see it? You know, I, I didn't prepare for this, so I didn't look up any definitions. Yeah. Um, but you can tell me, when did Egyptomania first appear on the spectrum? So so this is part of the debate. Is mm-hmm. Some people argue it starts with, like, the Romans and the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you see, uh, especially Roman Empire expanding into Egypt, mm-hmm. they appropriate Roman um, or Egyptian iconography. But, you, I mean, arguably, you could start, say, even earlier, the Near Eastern, you know, I. Egyptian iconography being adopted into Near Eastern culture. Egyptianka, three thousand BC, right? and we could be talking about Egyptian motifs yeah. spreading into spreading other into, parts of the Near East. As so, in, yeah. So that's one argument, and then yeah. the other argument is more. It's more modern phenomenon. You know, starting. I think more in the Renaissance, mm-hmm. um, but especially in more Victorian mm-hmm. Victorian times of this. So so we could say that the city of Alexandria under Greek occupation, Alexandria named for Alexander the Great, obviously, is a city founded in a kind of colonial Egyptomania, if you like. You can see the Isis cult spreading throughout the Roman Empire as a mystical, religious kind of Egyptomania. Mm -hmm. You can see the Heropolin hermeticism spreading throughout a Renaissance Europe and before that, an Arabic um, uh, empire, economic empire, exactly, as a kind of uh, way of finding lost secrets. Mm -hmm. You can talk about the Napoleonic uh, savants, Description de l'Egypte, as a a rational, encyclopedic uh, committing to memory of all of these Egyptian things, a celebration of Egyptian things. And then you could say the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb in 1922 is kind of the culmination, the yeah. modern culmination of a rational scientific um, celebration of an Egyptianness. And so all of these things, and if we start at 3000 BC, we go all the way up to 1922 CE, then you're, you're talking about how Egypt has created this persona, to use a strange word, but a kind of um, identity. Imagine imagined identity of ideal perfection of secret keeping of um beautiful art riches and extraordinary power and as you said extraordinary treasure yeah and so all of these things um that we we want to attain or that we feel will enlighten us or or um teach us something or give us the lost secrets or whatever it is everyone's looking for this egyptianness um and I would say that it's it was um, created over millennia by very skilled uh, practitioners of politics and spin. It's always an outsider in most cases. Right? It's an outsider who wants to take it, but who's creating the persona? It's I don't know. It's kind of like you're an amazing Hollywood star like Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. right? And everyone wants to cast you in their movie. And yeah. we're going back to an 80s Tom Cruise when he was in Top Gun, right? And before... But anyway, so so you're an ama- you know you're an amazing Hollywood star, and and people are all trying to appropriate you and pull you in so that your identity and your built, constructed, manufactured self will then lend credence mm-hmm. or or value to what it is that you are yeah. doing. And Egypt had a part to play in building mm-hmm. that identity themselves, an identity that was superior to others around them, that knew how to do politics, 
better than others, that was richer than others, whose religion was deeper than others. Um, all of these things were carefully constructed, whether true or not. And then other people, while Egypt is strong, and then when Egypt weakens throughout time, they all want to take and appropriate this. So it's, um, it's a super interesting thing to see. And I would compare it maybe, um, you know, Britain used to be the greatest empire in the world, right? And, and then they're even waning as post-World War II as, as Britain uh, loses its political influence and economic influence. The music is still incredibly popular, books and yeah. culture and TV shows. And we still, if or we're like British accent. Exactly. Kind of you know, we think of it as a high cultural yeah. ideal to which we must aspire. And I just spent two weeks watching Downton Abbey. So I understand how people want to identify with a certain echelon of British culture and a way of doing things set up as superior to others. So I think it's kind of a superiority thing. And when you talk to modern Egyptians, they're like, or when Egypt is marketed uh, as a tourist destination, I mean, what kind of things are people saying? They're, they're marketing off that, mm -hmm. that persona that we've given it. And we have things like this is the land of kings. The land of and, kings, like yeah. treasure, mm -hmm. the land of mystery and magic. Mystery. Yeah. 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 All those so things. We, um, we have only so ourselves to blame. <laughs> so some people, you know, Egyptomania is like just love of Egypt. Yeah. But do you see it more as a mania, right? Egyptomania. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's more of a um, obsession? Yeah, there's a... There's... Where's, where's the line? Is it love or obsession? It's an obsession with a misapprehension of what a place mm -hmm. and people actually are because what has been set up is an idealizing reality rather than a more reality. truthful reality of what's going on on the ground. Yeah. yeah. So then when we get movies or TV shows or other pop culture um, forms of media coming through, I think we as Egyptologists really focus on the accuracy of things. Yeah. Um, you know, we watch whatever. We watch Prince of Egypt. We watch The Mummy. We watch yeah. um, all these things, Cleopatra or something. Yeah. And we're very much like, oh, that's, they're showing, you know, in The Mummy, they start out in the very beginning where they're showing, they say, it's Thebes where there's a pyramid. And we're like, mm -hmm. there's no pyramids there. Mm -hmm. And we're very hung up on all these little, Accuracy things. And people can't seem to figure out that there are multiple capitals in Egypt yeah. and that all of these things are not down south in Thebes, that there's Memphis and there's Heliopolis and there's Tanis and Delta sites and yeah. and the court well, would have like, gone all up and down the Nile. It wasn't just one capital city. And but, I yeah. think this is part of the the issue is that Egypt, ancient Egypt gets collapsed into this singular entity and that they don't pay attention to oh, that it's thousands of years of history and that mm -hmm. if you're looking at, you know, old kingdom Egypt it's different than New Kingdom yeah. or later yeah. than Ptolemaic and it just gets collapsed down to the single ideal imagined landscape. Yeah. Um, Which is I think yeah. why and I know you have a question. No, so no. But um I think it's why when we do films or media about Egypt, it tends to be it, it involves all of our misconceptions mm -hmm. of this idealized perfection that Egypt has set forth and it dehumanizes it mm -hmm. in a way and it makes it all into this um unemotional super archaic 
encrusted in gold kind of reality, which is very hard to do in a storytelling vein. And I think people have not cracked how Mm -mm. one works with this. Because it's like, imagine trying to describe our current society, Mm. you know, easily and it's it's impossible so it's like a mad like well we're like a bunch of romans in in my opinion (laughs) americans are like a bunch of romans lots of political competition lots of open uh fighting and infighting not a there is idealism or idealizing Mm -hmm. but not in the same way as the ancient egyptians who kept most of that uh messiness hidden hidden Mm -hmm. and and not recorded we love to record that shit yeah, and but talk that's about like it. where a good show is mm-hmm. in that messiness. It's mm-hmm. like, how do you? Like when we think of ancient Rome, we think of we think of cruelties, we think, think of, of messiness, we think of crazy emperors. Yeah. Like the first thing you think of ancient Rome, you probably think of crazy emperors first, like weird orgies, exactly. Yeah, and people vomiting so they can yeah, eat more food. Like, yeah, and exactly. Gluttony. Yes. Yeah. Not that that's what Rome was, but this Egypt, is where our mind like, goes. religious, golden covered gold. secret. Yeah. You know, chanting priests and but everything. It's like we're buying clean. The narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. absolutely. So, how important do you think it is to have accurate representations? Well, obviously, and obviously what is even accurate? Yeah, that's um, the issue. Accuracy is a tough one, and I again, I don't think we've ever cracked that mm-hmm. nut. Um, how? But yeah. there's certain things that, like, we can be, yeah. you know, yeah. like, not to put pyramids in Thebes. And- not to put pyramids in Thebes. Not to make all of your bodyguards uh, Central Africans. Yes. That's the oh, most we'll talk about orientalizing race. racist thing that you can possibly yes. do. And you see it in almost every film mm-hmm. about ancient Egypt. All of a sudden, your bodyguards are these, you know, Nubian warriors. Mm-hmm. Not that Nubians or people from the South didn't act as mercenaries, but lots of people acted as mercenaries. But also were very elite members mm-hmm. of the court. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we impose our own binary racial mm-hmm. caste system from the United States yep. onto ancient Egypt. But anyway. Um, we'll get to that later. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, authenticity for Egypt is tough because whose authenticity are we talking about? So is it the authenticity of Pharaoh, whatever that is, an institution that is very skillfully and carefully manufactured over millennia to be invincible in our eyes and to be divinized in our eyes. Do we actually go through and be an apologist for that? Because that's what also what most of these films are. They're apologist ramblings in, in how we must support this kind of power and how this power is actually good. And I just wrote a book about that, but anyway, um, so do you make it all about those Kings? Because it's not like that, perception of power didn't exist and wasn't put forward Mm -hmm. it was how do you show resistance to that um without imposing a an enlightenment based rational revolutionary resistance to that kind of kingship that's really hard resistance would have happened in a very different way within a monarchical system or you get too warm and fuzzy and you're giving all these maybe modern like as you're touching all on modern perspectives to people Universalism. Oh, yeah, warm and fuzzy by making, um, yeah, oh, we have to touch on universalism. You know it's one of my favorite words. Um, but warm and fuzzy in that we impose an emotionality mm-hmm. onto these kings and queens because yeah. those are the stories we want to tell. Yeah. Um, we impose an emotionality that we would expect For upon which we them. we don't have any evidence. For. No, no. But 
you also can't remove it entirely because if you if you remove human emotionality from these kings and queens, then you are you are saying that their office is greater than their humanity mm. and that they didn't have any human emotions yeah. or or interests or vagaries at all. Yeah. And I don't think that was necessarily the case. So and you can look at Egyptian political history and see normal human reactions. These things are there. So how do you how does one work with this? Um, yeah. How do you work with a narrative that has been so perfected that there's almost no humanity left? Mm-hmm. Well, especially, you know, when there already is this imagined idea of ancient Egypt. And then if someone's trying to make a new show or a new movie about it, how do you, you don't, you can't do something that's like totally radically different. Yeah. yeah. That it won't be understood. But we, we love binaries, we humans, yeah. right? So instead of making them, we could be apologists for the pharaohs, or we could go total exodus on it and say that the pharaohs were all evil totalitarians who needed to be, who needed their comeuppance, yeah. and then you make it all about the takedown yeah. and the um, evil empire, mm-hmm. and you create a pharaoh of, of such immoral excess that he also has no humanity. So mm-hmm. the orientalizing it's trope, the yeah, point. it's so much, it's either like, and, and of course Edward Said has written all about this orientalizing and we don't need to reproduce that here, but it's a part of our conversation mm-hmm. that you're either over emotional in a hyper-sexualized, mm-hmm. I get my whole harem um, kind of way. It's exotic. Exotic. Exotic life is perfect and peaceful and calm and no one's working and this or it's and it was just having orgies all the time or it's completely despotic yeah. in a cruel sort of way which certainly limits the level the, the number of human emotions that yeah. you can bring into something always the in-between yeah um, so i feel like we as academics as egyptologists as archaeologists play a big role in shaping yeah. how these things get then consumed um by the media right that as you touched upon you know there's certain kind of blips when something gets found archaeologically mm-hmm. taught for example that then starts off you know heightened egyptomania mm-hmm. periods um so how do you see our role i know obviously you write a lot of stuff for the public mm-hmm. and engage with the public a lot do a lot of public outreach um to try to make sure that the narratives that are being consumed by the public are are accurate and that they're understanding this stuff. But okay, here's this is complicated, and mm-hmm. let me try to verbalize what it is that I'm thinking. I think that most Egyptology, believing that it must maintain a rational and enlightened scientific approach to these ancient people they study tries to divorce itself from any human emotionality mm-hmm. whatsoever, whether they're asking about it or looking at it. They instead describe monuments, talk about um, when something was built, talk about a seriation of a monument type. Mm-hmm. Um, they go deep into religious beliefs um, and, and talk about the different divinities or different books of the dead or different recensions thereof. And it's a... Um, it's a very purposefully a-emotional perspective. And what that does in us trying to divorce ourselves from this humanity is it fetishizes and dehumanizes the ancient Egyptians such that they are what they produce. They're pyramids, they're tombs stuffed with treasures, they're mummies, 
their temples and their gods and their religions. And we don't um, identify them with a human core that lived and died and gave birth to babies, half of whom died or, or something and had diseases and parasites and all of these issues. And part of my work, particularly with my first book, mm-hmm. The Woman Who Would Be King, is inserting a human emotionality back into the narrative purposefully and allowing others to criticize how that emotionality works. I mean, I'm putting that book out there. There's no other way. People are going to say what they want to say. Um, But I think that we need to, um, we need to be careful with how we catalog and encyclopedically describe these people because it makes them into um, something that's almost not real. Yeah. 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 I don't think we do that with Greece and Rome because Greece and Rome won't allow it because their emotionality is there on the page in we a sense. More, I feel like texts that mm-hmm. include their like plays and yeah. more things that you get more of the raw emotion and yeah. letters. And- I dare say, and I'm not an Americanist, but I would say that much um, Native American in, the, in North America antiquity studies and uh, Mayan and Aztec studies or ancient Peruvian studies, because of the competitive nature of these places and the amount of constant destabilization of political systems, you also you have an inherent emotionality, even if it's of violence or ritual violence or the fall of Mesa Verde and where did the people, there's, there seems to be more human emotionality at, at the core of the study Whereas Egypt is this sterility of continuous perfection for Mm -hmm. 3,000 years that built things that we still can't understand that is so perfected that it's inhuman, that it it continues to remove any sort of emotionality so that I feel that I have to somehow stuff it back in there. Um, I wonder if it's time, too, like of time removed. It's funny because it may be. Because um, I kind of feel that way too about like Mesopotamia, where it's like, yeah, there's this sense of very. An austerity of, of separation. But then if you read, as we do in Women in Power, you read a poem by Anka Duana, no. you're like, damn, she, you know, yeah, her, yeah. she's been inserted into the city by her dad, Sargon of Akkad, her brother is getting, you know, he's about to be taken down and she's there in the city trying to hold shit together. And you just get a different understanding of human trauma Mm -hmm. that you do not, not that Egyptians don't talk about trauma. They talk about Osiris being murdered by his brother. They talk about, you know, we read Anubis and Bata and you see, Mm -hmm. you know, the brother is accused of sleeping with his brother's wife. He cuts off his penis and throws it into the river. Listeners didn't expect to hear that right now, but like there is an emotionality, but it's um, somehow it's, it's more separated or austere or seven steps removed. Yeah. I don't know why. It's not as upfront. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I would say looking at some of, I I don't know, maybe ancient China, I think also does a Mm -hmm. good job of divinizing their ruler to such an extent that he is untouchable and and i don't mean untouchable in the hindu caste system i mean untouchable as in he is inviolable um his power and rule is inviolable and you can't 
criticized at all. And if you did, you would be killed. You would be removed. You would not be there. And I think it's those cultures where if the culture itself set it up so that if you criticized, you would be removed. We as academics studying it almost feel that awe and follow Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. in a sense. And they're like, oh, well, we can't say that. And I think we're very, you you don't realize it, but how much texts play a role because, you know, for Rome, for example, like you said, we have all these, um, you know, tales of the emperors and all their misgivings yeah. and their misfortunes and what's wrong with them and these biographies, but we don't get that for no. Egypt. That would not have been kosher. No. Right? To write a a tale that tells you of negative things about the king. No, the um, biggest takedown we might have is Khufu saying, Oh, let's let's kill this prisoner so I can so you can reattach or the his gods, head. you know, <laughs> the next king. Yeah, would say you know the gods didn't favor so and so, right? Favor me instead. That's- but even Akhenaten, nobody says horrible bad shit about him. They, when they do, they say the heretic, yeah. and then that's it. It's done. We're not yeah. talking about this anymore. And so we keep everything. It's like living in a dysfunctional family in which you can never talk about your brother who got sent to prison ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't yeah. ever ever talk about it. Yeah. Um, so it it makes if if Hollywood or storytelling or novel writing is about creating conflict and then working through that conflict, Egypt is not giving you a whole lot to work with. kind of read between the lines, Mm -hmm. but then people get mad. Like, oh, there's no evidence for that. There's no evidence You're making that up out of whole cloth. And it's like, well, you you can't just, that wouldn't be a good TV show. (laughs) No. But then you can't impose a Game of Thrones reality on this place. Yeah. Which people love to do. Yeah. And it's too much. It's too far. Yeah. So there is an authenticity. We could find it. Will be. That's mm-hmm. to be to be determined. Yeah. Okay. So maybe this is putting you on the spot a bit. <laughs> or maybe typical. But of the movies and TV shows you've seen, what is one you think that did it well? And then we'll get to the battle. Yeah. Um, well, the mummy is okay because the mummy is not about ancient Egypt, at least in the first one, as yes. much as it is about the Victorian British dis- slash American yeah. rediscovery of Egypt yeah. and all of our um, fetishizing of this place. Yeah. And so then the fetishizing comes through that that perspective, mm-hmm. that that lens, and I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all this rebirth stuff, which I think is rather fun to play with because yeah. people ask me all the time, do you think you're reborn ancient Egyptian? I'm like, how the hell do I know? Sure. Scarab I don't know. Though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember when being little and I thought like scarabs actually ate human flesh. And, and then you had to unlearn that. Or that there were that. five canopic like, oh, jars. Wait, no, shit. It's yeah. Okay. Or that Anubis is like some warrior dude mm-hmm. who's who's trying to take people down when he's really the god well, of mummification. Like Ankhus and Amun is yeah. really and who Imhotep, like they did not exist at Mm-mm. the same time no. at all. No. But they're throwing this movie as love. Mm-hmm. And all these Lovers. secret books. And I love yes, it. the book, yeah. I love the treasure hunting where they're like, everybody knows that this... Hymenoptera. Yeah, Hymenoptera is the secret city and that you just have to find the map to get to the place and then yeah. you're able to find and like, it. And like, wait for dawn and the mm-hmm. sun. Mm-hmm. And then they know, they're like, oh no, this is what we need to do and this is what the sacred texts say. I'm like, where are these sacred texts? Where are these treasure hunt texts? Because we don't have them. Yeah. So, you know, it's it was it's fun. But it was fun because it was open about it. Yeah. And it, it was, was almost satirical mm-hmm. in a way. And in some ways, one could argue, while it's orientalizing, it's it's uh, tongue-in-cheek about yes. that exact orientalizing. Versus, like, Indiana Jones, yeah. which isn't. Yeah. 
Mm, no. Um, because, it, it, you know, it's just orientalizing. It doesn't acknowledge that it's being... Certainly for the second one. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's the Temple of Doom, right? Mm-hmm. That's the really racist yeah. one. Um, yes. But the Kali when, cult, right? Yes, yeah. but even the, um, like, the Ark one, the Ark mm-hmm. of the Covenant one, mm-hmm. when he's in Egypt, it's like, all the brown people are just like these amorphous brown people and he, they have swords and he has the gun. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, from a modern perspective. You know, yes. And of course they didn't shoot that in Egypt. They shot that in another part of North Africa. And, and now it, when I was little, I didn't understand when he goes, Cairo city of the living. And he'd be looking out over the roofs and, and you see that now you're like, that's not Cairo. There's no way that's Cairo. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and again, Raiders would be about a, World War II reality yeah. and a European claim and colonialism of these North African places. So I'm like, you know, um, and a, a Hitler, Hitler's occultism and, and these things, it's yeah. kind of interesting. So I didn't mind that one as much. Um, so they didn't, you know, they, I, I found, I remember I, I got to meet Brendan Fraser. I yes. think we've talked about this on exactly this podcast, but it was at the... Um, the gala that you were at Amber in 2005 in at LACMA and Brendan Fraser, I met him and he's like, Oh my God, you must hate our movies. I'm like, no, by no means. Yeah. And yes, the second and third is their third. Yeah. Or rather silly. Well, it's, Scorp- it's like the second one. And then there's like this weird Scorpion King. I never really off. saw that one. Just, just that one that was one. weird. Cause it was like Mesopotamian. Like he was Akkadian. I mean, get your facts right. But then like, what does that even mean to be Akkadian? Next. That's the language. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> He was a king of a cod or something. Like, just it takes three seconds for the consultant to figure that shit out. Just but then hire the, your consultants. It's not hard. The third one where they're like in China and Rachel Weiss is not in the movie. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, don't see it. Yeah. Okay, I won't. Um, but no offense. But in terms of like any ancient Egypt, right? I would yeah. think there's one, and it's not even right because it's through a lens of. Uh, constructed Judaism, but that would be Prince of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And Prince of Egypt, I think, actually tries to humanize the Egyptians in a very interesting way. You would think that that one more than any should other be would be the one that's trying to demonize all of ancient Egypt. Yep. And yes, our our Ramesid character does become, he's Ramesses II, mm-hmm. isn't he, right? And his father studied the first. Yep. Um, and they make up all these stories and insert like, you know, the killing of all the firstborn and things like that. Um, but and there are issues with where sphinxes are and where pyramids are. And again, why can't you just hire a consultant when you're drawing yeah. shit to like make it right? But for the most part, I, I thought that was, it was nice. Yeah. It was okay. And skin yeah. colors were okay. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. And yet all of the actors playing people were white. The voice actors. The yeah. voice actors, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they might get the skin color right, but they're still not going to hire somebody yeah. who is of color. Mm-hmm. It's all still the great British actors or great American actors of the world. And I think the, again, this is so typical, just like when you're, when you're casting um, the Imperial dudes in Star Wars, they have to have British actor accents that in this, I think you have the British accents for all the The Egyptians, the high court. And then the Americans are like, wasn't Jeff Goldblum Aaron or something like that. And Miriam was played by um, Sandra Bullock. But yeah, I can't I believe I'm pulling right. this I out. Yeah, I think I, I might Americans be right. Were Americans were the Jews, were the Israelites, yeah. because we didn't have a word for Jews yet, but at least it's yeah. the 1200 and the BCE. Egyptians were the high, classy British people. Exactly. Um, so I think, you Which know, I, it's, uh, yeah. But, um, but if, you know, we're talking about a constructed world out of pictures. Mm-hmm. 
So why not make it? Why not sit down with an actual book of images? There's there's wonderful reconstructions of Egyptian temples and spaces, and get it right, as opposed to just plopping shit down where you Mm -hmm. think it it looks good. What about Rome? Um, Rome is amazing, but it's not Egyptian. I know. Oh, so but like, the Cleopatra part where she's yes, got no go, hair and she has her wears so, her wigs so like and I stuff. I love HBO Rome mm-hmm. for the Roman bits, mm-hmm. and I'm conflicted about the Egyptian bits yeah. because it's a, it's not showing ancient Egypt. Yeah, it's showing the Greco-Roman and the last breaths of that Greco-Roman Macedonian Egypt. Egypt. Yes. And I think it maybe would have been kind of this perverse kind of. Garish. Well, and Cleopatra thing. follows all these misogynist tropes yeah. of being a sex crazed, yeah. um, rather uh, drunken creature. Drunken mm-hmm. or opium um, off. I can't remember what yeah. her drug of choice was, but, but yes. she was a little off. Uh, but yeah, Rome, um, I loved the details in Rome of human religion, mm-hmm. of looking at a shrine, praying to your ancestors. Yeah. Why do we never do that in Egyptian movies? Why don't you see ancestor busts and people praying to their ancestors? No, you never see like normal people. No, you don't. No, you could. Always, yeah. Um, could. That's what Prince of Egypt, they had normal people, yeah. right? Um, wearing their normal clothes. But we don't, we don't see that in Egyptian films. It's always the court. And it's so boring. Because once you perfect somebody, there's nothing left to see. They're meant to be a god upon earth. Yeah. They're constrained by their very office into not being able to do anything cool. So what's the point? There's no point. Um, Cleopatra, sure, it's all going to fall apart at the end, and you know this, and that's why everyone remakes Cleopatra ad nauseum. And now we have another one, right? Yes. Um, What do you feel about the Gal Gadot casting? How how do you feel? Uh, I don't like it. Because? Well, one, I just don't think we need another Cleopatra. (laughs) So I'm just like, why? Even one made by all females to show the female perspective. Of all of this, because I that's how they're going to be that different. Let's be real. They're going with the same narrative. Yeah. How's it going to be that different? Yeah. And then two, it's problematic casting. It's such problematic casting. A white facing individual. And you say white facing because people have claimed, I don't know how she self identifies, but people have said that since she's of Israeli Jewish heritage that she's not white but I think she's white passing and to go to the state of Israel and to understand how colorism works and how racism works within Israel amongst Jewish peoples of different skin colors is an eye-opening experience versus um North African Sephardic versus Mm -hmm. Ethiopian Jews versus I mean there's all kinds of um people of Jewish descent and those of an Ashkenazi white facing as you put it origin do better um, in in the modern state of Israel, and that's who Gal Gadot is. And so, but but so we're talking about skin color right there. But for the modern Egyptians to cast an actress who is Israeli, yeah, in even Our if it's to times. yeah, even to display a Macedonian Greek woman is highly problematic because this woman was probably not definitely but probably part Egyptian because mm-hmm. she could speak and read Egyptian, which yeah. many assume meant that her mother may have been Egyptian. Egyptian. So that's not what I see when I see Gal Gadot. I see a European claim of Egypt yeah. um, again. Yeah. And, uh, it's just the Liz Taylor 
mm-hmm. all over again. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And they'll have her commit suicide all over again. Yep. And if you don't know what I think about that, you can read my book, When Women Ruled the World, where I say, who tells us that Cleopatra committed suicide? It's Octavian's history writers and rhetoricians who are telling us these things. And that suicide, who is it viewed by? What's the evidence for it? How do we know this? It works so well for his propaganda campaign that I don't, I don't buy it. I think he could easily have just, yeah, he could have easily just killed her and then said, oh, she committed suicide. It works perfectly for a woman to give her a hero's death and to say that she abandoned her children to their fates, abandoned her people to their fates, and was so selfish that she didn't want to be committed to chains in a triumph, that she just took the easy way out. When really putting her in a triumph would have been problematic, more problematic for them, I think, than exactly. Then just killing these people outright and then making up whatever story you want. But they're going to go with the suicide. I'm sure it's already been well, shot and done. Clean their hands. Yeah. Their hands don't want to be bloody. And she'll be the per- perfect. They'll try to humanize her and give her some sort of a reason that she commits suicide, but it'll still be, it'll still be the same. Day. Opting out yeah. and saying, oh, I'm, I'm just done and, and I'm leaving everyone to suffer and I'm going to go take the easy way out, which is what Cleopatra's story always yeah. does. Not. Not looking forward to that. Probably won't. I always say I'm not going to watch it, but then it's like you're on a plane. Right? Have you Hours. watched Gods of Egypt? Have you actually watched it? Yes. I have not. It's so bad. I have a good friend who is a brilliant academic. You know him. Mm-hmm. And he loves watching it in his downtime, low times, because he's like, it's the funniest, most ridiculous yeah, yeah. thing. If you go into it with like, with Gerard Butler at it and, as a joke. Yes. Then Who's it's okay. It? Uh, Gerard Butler, the guy from Game of Thrones, Jamie Lannister. Mm-hmm. Um, Who does he play? He's Horace. Horace? With um, the, his eye patch. Yeah. Is it's he just, blonde? It's is so he blonde? like, yes. <laughs> it's so, and it's like spacey. Like they're always on like this like spaceship, like in space. Like they're on the boat. Oh, it's supposed like, to be the boat of the heavens? Yes, like the bark crossing the but sky. But it looks a little bit like 2001. It's like all metal, spacey, aliens. It's like very aliens. Yeah, it's so bad. Like a little clash of the Titans. Yes. Where they're all, yes. where the gods are yeah, all in this vibe. white room. Yeah. Okay. But like this is much more yeah, it has all it's all alien. Alien gods or aliens vibe. I suppose I should watch it someday. It's so bad. So we can watch the Germanic barbarians playing Yes. Egyptians. The ancient Egyptian divinities. I always just like to think what the Egyptians would think if they saw this. Like The ancient Egyptians. Yeah. <laughs> yes, not modern. Yes. Ancient. Of being like what? Like vulgar. <laughs> like discussing this yeah i have no idea not that their tales didn't you know it's funny we we have horace and seth that tale of body emotionality Mm -hmm. and we don't do enough with that but it's also i don't know the emotionality and those tales about divinities are more about power and the maintenance of a of a certain look than they are about actual and i think it's like a cultural very set in this cultural space mm-hmm. so then to adapt to say maybe now you would have to change i think certain aspects to make it like the, like the man boy rape the man boy rape i think would have to be changed <laughs> for our do they cultural. do that in gods of egypt gerard butler didn't try to rape no. was he set it's all just like battles it's all like you know mm-hmm. swords and violence. which egyptians didn't have yeah 
So it's, it, it was adapted. They always have them with these broadswords. I'm like, what are you, what yeah, are you doing? They're not like astride a horse or, in their armor with their broadsword. They too much like hepeshes everywhere. Uh, everywhere like a hepesh everywhere. Which is a chariot headlocker offer. I mean, yeah. that's what that's for. But anyway. Then they have the wrong, you know, wrong headgear, wrong crowns. Oh, the worst yes. wrong crown. Yes. What movie? Uh, Exodus, God's King. Which is um, with, um uh, what's the uh, what's Christian the, Bale? Christian Bale, and he's wearing a vulture headdress. <laughs> Queen's headdress. <laughs> he's wearing a vulture headdress. It's um, you can't make that shit up, and it's beautiful, but it needs to be on Long the queen place. and not on the. Is it? He's the crown prince wearing this. He's thing? Moses. He's Moses wearing this thing. What a ridiculous movie! I haven't seen that one either. That one's really bad um, too. Jordan knows that I am pop culturally illiterate and I don't watch a lot of these things probably and um you know when you do all of this stuff all day long the last thing you want to do when you're relaxing is read and watch more things about this place that you have to criticize it in your mind it's no fun it's it's not enjoy it's like not an enjoyable thing because you're sitting there like criticizing it I think other people aren't Egyptologists hate us being there yes we're sitting there like well this is wrong. Well, That's wrong. We should have like, done this. Up. Well, I couldn't watch Assassin's Creed or play it because of, oh, for yeah. the same reason. Because I'm like, well, this is wrong. Oh my God, this is misogynistic. Oh my God, that's misogynistic. And then I just gave up. Yep. Not that or I like gaming the, at all. The USA TV show, my mom was watching it. She called me and be like, is this right? <laughs> I like on the show, they did this. And I'm like, <laughs> and you're like, and it's like King Tut and all these people. And you're like, where do I even begin? Like explaining this, you know, and people watch these things and think they're right. And then they recite it. The like, other problem I have with Egyptian material is they always tell the same goddamn yes. stories again and again mm-hmm. and again. So it's Egypt and the Exodus, Egypt and the Exodus and Cleopatra. Egypt and the Amarna period. And then they don't do enough Amarna. Yeah. I mean, they but have a little like bit of it at the beginning tut. of Tut, but not much. Tut, I feel like Cleopatra, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, Bible. That's like the three. Ugh. Well, I had this question saved for the end, but I feel like it fits better now. If yeah. you could have any part of Egyptian history made into a movie or TV show, what would it be? Well, I can't say. I, I have a very good answer to this. Yeah. And it's a developed answer, mm-hmm. and, it's in, and it's being developed, and I'm going to just let it sit there. The I'm gonna plead the fifth. Okay, so and, second then. Yeah. Beyond this one. Beyond this one. So say this one gets made or whatever, what would be your next one? It's not Egyptian okay. per se, but I think it's awesome. I think that a TV series about the Ptolemies would be awesome mm-hmm. because those people were assholes. They were crazy. Like you yeah. have Cleopatra the people second, have- her husband, her brother, full brother, husband leaving her for her daughter and his. Um, I think it's, wait, is it his niece? I think it's a daughter with another husband, Cleopatra III. And then he murders her son. And I can't remember which Ptolemy it is, Ptolemy VI? I'm not sure. Murders her son and then sends it to her, the son cut up into pieces as a birthday present. And and she's she goes into exile and then she comes back. And they all have to rule together as like a little triumphant, Cleopatra II, III, and Ptolemy, I think the sixth. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. We'll put it in the show notes if we if it's wrong. Um, but that kind of story <laughs> is so beyond Game of Thrones oh, cruelties yeah. that oh, I yeah. don't know what to say. It's yeah, it's insane. You don't have to make anything up there. And all of the brother sister marriage. Why? 
Why? I don't understand it. Um, the, they practice more brother-sister marriage amongst the Macedonian Greeks than the Egyptians ever did. Yep. Oh, I, yeah. don't, I don't get it. Um, so that would be pretty cool. I would like to see a early, late 17th, early 1890. They just did this, Jordan. They just did a Ramadan mini-series, yes. and it got, they true. showed it, and they wouldn't air it. Yeah. They started to show it wouldn't air it because his skin color and look was so European-like that that they asked it because he's supposed to be Theban, supposed yep. to be Upper Egyptian. And they hire this dude who's, I think, got blue eyes or something. I don't know who the actor is. He's lighter skin. Um, but the whole thing got canceled. Yeah. So but I would crazy. like to see, like, Teddy Sherry. Mm-hmm. It would be pretty cool. Women. That would be pretty cool. Um, early T1, even. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, I think all... On time. A Kush Right Long would also be really yeah, cool. Yeah, that would be really good. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, just like third intermediate period because you could have all the different actors and layers mm-hmm. and different, different groups. More of a Sudanese yeah. exploration. Mm-hmm. Meroitic Queens yeah. would be amazing. Um, there are many stories one could like tell. Like Wadi al Jark one. Yeah. Like no one does a building of the pyramids. Building of the pyramids. Thing. Going Why? To Sinai. Uh-huh. That could be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's stuff out there. There's so but, much stuff. Um, Even just a very like, quote unquote, like boring, you know, upstairs downstairs type of in the court, seeing the all the people who aren't meant to be seen or heard, their perspective versus the court and what they're dropping on and hearing. And there's all kinds of cool scandals. There's a wonderful book by Pascal Vernus mm-hmm. called Affairs and Scandals oh. in Ancient Egypt, and there is wonderful material. I read there. that for our true crime. Oh, right. Yeah. That's episode. really good. Well, it's, a, it's a wonderful collection of stories. It really is. Dero Medina would be really mm-hmm. cool. So much stuff from Dero Medina. Absolutely. Like, as they're building the pharaoh's tomb and yeah. all the, like, all the drama in the in the village and all that kind of stuff. Really yeah. Cool. Yeah. There's so much to work with. That's did, not... Did you like Stargate? I did, because I think it wasn't trying to do too much. It had its niche. Did you like the TV show? So I didn't, I haven't seen the TV show. Um, I, I didn't really watch it either, but people love that show. It was show. also, I think I was a bit young to fully have like a perspective on it. I haven't seen it recently. Oh, so I was so sweet. I have to watch it again. But I know that's very popular. The Mummy's more my era. No TV show spinner. Yeah. That would be a good one. I did see, there was some BBC day like finding of Tut's tomb mm-hmm. show that was kind of good but they had of course they had to have some like love stories oh right because evelyn carvin yes. fell in love with howard with carter, howard carter. But, like, I, other yeah. than that it was like pretty but we don't know I mean, yeah. she was there on the scene it's completely sure. possible and uh, i think she was the only one that visited his grave at the very end howard um, carter maybe was a stud <laughs> he <laughs> remained unmarried Da-da. in a sad way for his whole life i thought it could work for me I was back then. That stuff, like that little interpersonal stuff, mm. I'm forgiving about. Mm. I don't really care. The other things. Okay, so we talked about movies we liked or TV shows we liked. I think we touched upon ones we think were the worst offenders. Yes, Gods of Egypt. Gods of Egypt, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Mm-hmm. What about uh, older Cleopatra, older. Um, 
I, I looked at a little bit why, because I or knew like this was the what mummy, we were. like all these scary mummy Boris called like, yeah. like turning mummies into scary monsters. Not my not my jam. Yeah. It's not stuff that I really watch. And and you know, as an Egyptologist, I've had to an Egyptologist in Los Angeles, I have been invited to be part of panel discussions where we watch some movie where okay. a woman gets trapped in the pyramids and, yes. uh, you know, I can't remember Let's what it was called. Um, no, she, she did bad things. She was a Jezebel. If, oh. if I may mix my ancient metaphors and okay. she, and she then That's ended up in the pyramid buried alive. Exactly. Um, yeah, she was a bad woman. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then I'm on a panel discussion and they're like, what do you think? Is it amazing? I'm like, no, it's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm such a killjoy in these moments, so I don't think I should do any more of these of these panel discussions. But, you know, I think Hollywood made a lot out of, they invented this idea of the walking dead mummy, the first zombie. And yeah. that's an interesting um, thing. We all still like to dress up as mummies for Halloween. And so I, you know, it's it's cool. The Egyptians have only themselves to blame for creating like something that... Right? To create a body that seems to live on forever. Um, Of course, it takes on a demonic cast, but that's um, interesting too. So, and and then like Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra, I don't know it that well. Charlton Heston as as Moses, I don't know it that well. Uh, Even though they're, you know, these things are on TV all the time. They're all such products of their times and of an America... um, Okay, so yeah, post-war so America. Is, so it's my next question. Yeah. Is, right, a lot of scholars who study reception representation of ancient Egypt mm. by the West focus on this that it was a form of nationalism. Yeah, right. That it's we're owning this past, right, or growth of the British Empire. Mm-hmm. Right, we see it popping up very a lot in Victorian Victorian period, mm. and that you know it's linked. The growth of the British Empire is linked to this consumption of other cultures that they're they're owning, they're colonizing. Yeah. Um, at this time, do you still see this as linked? When we have ancient Egypt showing in 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 American movies, modern times, is it a form of nationalism? I nationalism in what way? An, an American nationalism. Um, I think if it's a form of American nationalism, then it's... Like you said about, oh, the British people, so sort of God and King's exodus. Mm-hmm. The British people are the bad people. Yes, the yes. Americans with American accents are the... It's Moses, the yeah. good hero of the sort. Yeah, and the American in Cleopatra would be Mark Antony, who's seduced by this woman yes. who's very problematic. And that... It, it does work. It, it It's supposed to show you what you could be seduced by and what your actual ideal should be mm-hmm. and who's trying to create spin and what you should be a critical thinker of. Yep. Um, I think we would look at them all a little bit differently today because all of them are still trying to have their cake and eat it too. You know, they're still showing you all of the glitz and glamour and gold and crusted whatever and consuming that at the same time. Yeah. And the ancient Romans were no different. They mm-hmm. criticized Cleopatra at the same time that they were melting down all of her gold. So um, I think it's no different when you have a Hollywood and so, production. Yeah, they criticized Cleopatra, but at the same time, they're using Egyptiaca as yeah. a show of luxury and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the elites having made it yeah. by having this Egyptian material. Yeah. And your Nile barge is your mm-hmm. private jet of the day yep. and all of these things we want to consume and yep. enjoy. Yeah.
Yeah. Okay, so three kind of offenses stood out to me yeah. in, all these, in a lot of these movies or TV shows. Um, so we're going to talk about each one in turn. And okay. we touched upon a lot of them already, just have come up. So Orientalism. Yeah. Um, so I want to define it if our listeners have, oh, don't yeah. know about the yeah. term and what it what it means um, and why is it bad to you know exoticize um, yeah. another culture. Um, do you want to start with Orientalism? I mean, I would I would say, and I I didn't prep mm-hmm. this, and no. we we all talk about Orientalism all the time. Um, but I suppose it would be this uh, appropriative objectification and consumption of a simplified, dehumanized and fetishized, wow, I just threw out a whole shit ton of verbiage, of of a foreign culture such that you can feel superior over it. By the West onto the East, quote unquote. Yes, but I think, yes, and that's orientalizing. I think... um, this this appropriation and super, claims of superiority mm-hmm. can happen at all different time periods and in yes. many different directions. But when we're specifically talking about orientalizing, it's in the rubric of imperialism and colonialism, um, British Empire led, but not started, right? I mean, maybe British Empire um, uh, situated, but not necessarily started yep. by them because you have other... European forces that are that are a part of this um, going all the way back to Greek colonialism, yeah. I, I would claim. Um, so it's um, stereotyping of the Occident as yeah. being superior, noble, yeah, um, maybe uncouth and barbarian in some ways, but not as over the top in its not despotic, and, despotic. Its yeah. preparation, uh, its luxuries, its um, it's preparation of the human body to be adorned and beautified even in, in life or in, even in death. Um, these things are belittled and, uh, and there's also the orientalizing idea that the, the Easterner doesn't fight nobly, but instead fights through wheedling, cajoling manipulation. Whereas the European is upfront and honest and open in aspirations the and European fights to your face. Is the right? Man. Yes. And, and the Easterner <laughs> is the woman. All you have to do is watch the movie 300 and you've got it. Even though it's so homoerotic, I can't yeah. even. But watch the movie 300 and you get an idea of what real orientalizing is. Yeah. So that even though um, the Persian emperor is larger than life and massive on his carrying chair he's being carried and he's very feminized yeah, and piercings mm-hmm. and tattoos yeah. and his, his just look yep, yep. exactly, exactly. Yep. so yeah all the negative stereotypes all mm-hmm. the collapsing down to you mm-hmm. know single forms even collapsing ancient egypt down to this kind of one monolithic imagined society mm-hmm. and all this is orientalism yeah okay so obviously i should be pretty clear to people why that's bad. <laughs> um, right? And not true. And not true. Um, yeah. And so a lot of movies perpetuate a lot of these ideas mm-hmm. we see popping up. As we talked about, The Mummy seems to kind of poke fun at it a little mm-hmm. bit um, with some jest. Then we have Indiana Jones where it, it pops up way more clearly. And so is there a way to still love these movies or TV shows that have very strong oriental values orientalizing values can we still love them even though acknowledging 
that they're bad um, in certain ways. I think that we can. How do we rectify? I mean, it's. This? I always struggle with it. I think we're all struggling with it. Do you, you know, I remember reading Gone with the Wind. Yeah. Can you read Gone with the Wind and love what Margaret Mitchell wrote without, I mean, I always hated Scarlett. I thought she was a super bitch. <laughs> and she was like all the mean girls I went to school with in Houston, Texas, like to a T. So she got what was coming to her and I have no problems with that. But, um, but then do you, can you still enjoy that story given the, oh, the, the time and place it was set in and the noble black person who's grateful for their place on the plantation and all of that bullshit. Um, I think that everything has to be reframed, every single thing. And so if we enjoy it, we have, and, and love it, as you say, we have to do so with an, with a recognition of what it actually is. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that, then yeah, these things can be shown, but some of them are too hot. Some of them you really can't show anymore. Yeah, I think, well, I think that's, there's a line, yeah. right? If they're yeah. using derogatory language yep. or pejoratives or something like this, then it's a very much a no-go. Yeah, like nobody shows Temple of Doom anymore. You can't participate in that so racism. Yeah. It's over the top in in really stereotyping Hinduism and Hindu men in particular as these bloodthirsty yeah, savages. Blood, and then the, the misogyny of the Kali goddess and... It's it's so um, evangelically driven and it, it's really awful. Um, so I don't think that some of them just don't survive. Others can can find a way. I think the mummy. One of the reasons that it can survive is because of the strong female character, mm -hmm. because of the weakly and cowardly brother who actually fits among many of the Orientalist stereotypes. Yes, yes. And so he's Johnson. like a trope, exactly the drunken, yeah. um, sexless, yeah. useless, uh, weakling, whatever, who's who would much rather be a coward than fight nobly in any sort of way shape yeah. or form so there there are knowing ways clever ways of of dealing with those issues but um and you know raiders of the lost ark will always have nazis yes um but there's a greater enemy and we, yet wow aren't we learning that our noble fight against the nazis is really just revealing more of those same tendencies in ourselves mm -hmm. so i think that one would have to be viewed in a different way yep. as well um but yeah, it's, um, it's tricky. I think there's lots of movies, particularly from the American past dealing with our in enslavement and exploitation of black bodies that can't really be viewed anymore with any sort of comfort. Yeah. I think it's the way it's gotta be. Yeah. Or just yeah. that, I think, you know, even in, okay, so this is diverging a bit off from ancient Egypt, but mm -hmm. any movie that takes place in the Middle East, it's like, yeah. The the brown person or the Arab person is always the bad guy. Yeah. Or or Arab actors always getting just cast as terrorists or something yeah. like this. Or yeah. even in the recent James Bond, Rami Malik. Oh, Rami Malik is, is the, the bad, bad guy. guy. Yeah. And it's like of course the the brown person is the bad guy and they put all these weird scars on his face and they made mm. the disabled bad guy. Wow. The disabled brown person the bad guy. Wow. So they they really went there. Um it's why Die Hard is so good because you know, just get, just get some German just some bad Ger guys. We're and their okay. German is We're so all bad. Okay with the but the German is so bad; it's not well done. And yeah. one of the guys, I think he's he's Swedish, yeah, and he's speaking German. It's not very good. And but anyway, um, we all get on board with German bad guys. I know it's totally not fair. Like, that's fine. Is but it, I mean it is, but it isn't because Germany has done a better job. I would say alongside Spain in acknowledging past misdeeds of the last century and and trying to repair them. I'm not saying that there's no 
a hard right wing in Germany that wants to go back to a mythical past. Yeah. There is, particularly in the East or among lower socioeconomic groups, but um, we can't just make the Germans the bad guys all the time either. It's not really fair. But um, Nazis, I mean, I guess, yeah. But then why don't we have some good Confederate bad guys? I guess yeah. I mean, there are movies that do this, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. But um, yeah, but yeah. Egypt is hard because we love them so. And yet we have all of these tropes of them being the ultimate bad guys, but we love them. So it's like Egypt is at the very core of the question you're asking. Uh, how do we how do we deal with this that we want a king yeah. that we want to bow down to this king that we think we are we're like the king or connected to the king be, yeah but then we yeah. have like the bible stories mm -hmm. where he's a bad guy mm -hmm. and this ultimate dichotomy yeah so I don't know if we can really love these things I, I leave it up I to think, you <laughs> I guess at the very least being cognizant of the issues. So at least you could say, I know this is problematic, but I still like it. Yeah. I still like to share that with people who maybe don't know why it's problematic. The next theme is the portrayal of women, which is related to the Orientalism, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I'm thinking, like, how are ancient Egyptian women portrayed in a lot of these movies? And I'm thinking like sexy awesome mm -hmm. in the mummy with her body paint, mm -hmm. being naked, mm -hmm. looking hot. Which isn't that crazy when you think about how women were actually depicted. Like you say you go into the tomb of Nefertari yeah. if you are so lucky and you see that the clothing she's wearing show every detail it's of her body. And exactly. And she's she is a member of the king's harem mm -hmm. and in death, she is perfected as the most youthless or youthful, but without age, yeah. ageless, that's what I'm trying to say, beauty that there ever was. And so, um, again, just like the mummy, it's like you only had, you had it coming, you know, if you're going to invent something like this and rely on it to, to create a, a more powerful kingship that can consume these yeah, young bodies, like then. Egyptian probably would have liked the hot sexy. Yeah. They'd have been like, yep, yeah, that's it, right. It fits. It fits the the kingship that is being put forward as the bull of Egypt. No, she wouldn't have had. Ta well, she might have had tattoos. Well, his body paint. But remember, he smudges it, and then that's oh, how they know right, that she was. Over. Yeah, but there's. Yeah. I mean, we have no evidence of body paint, but who the hell knows? Maybe. Um, and there's actually no evidence of eunuchs, right? Yeah. Which you might sometimes see in these movies, but mm -hmm. there's no Egyptian evidence. Well, ancient Egyptian all, evidence like, of Ottoman, eunuchs. It's getting pulled in. Exactly. In it's like, oh, just it's Middle Eastern. It's all the same thing, which is Orientalism again. Mm -hmm. They're just amalgamating these things. But I'm thinking, too, like with Cleopatra, mm -hmm. right? We have all these sources that say she was so hideous and ugly, but then in time she's played by an actress it's by a beautiful Gavino's beautiful it was the Taylor's beautiful well they're sexually hungry these women. yeah they're always sexually hungry and you can read the tale of two brothers with Anubis and Bata and you can see a woman that's sexually hungry consuming men immorally you can see that there as well so this is a patriarchal trope that we gleefully participate in showing a woman that cannot control her sexuality and does so in a way that wreaks havoc and ruins the good man who would never do these things of his own volition, but she does them because himself. she is. He can't so help. Hard. No, he can't. Yeah. And so he she, he is pulled into her 
clutches, mm-hmm. if you like. And like Cersei. If, yeah. Which is why I love the redoing Madeline, of that yeah, book. That Miller book is so Cersei good. is so good. It's wonderful. Because she doesn't fall mm-hmm. for these things. No. That should be painted to Yes, it should. I hope or that someone's doing that. that. Awesome. It would be wonderful. Awesome. Um, like, I love her cake. You probably to. never read it. It's an old book written before you were born, I Ooh. dare say, called The Mists of Avalon. But Part of it. that's a retelling of King Arthur's tale mm-hmm. and um, One of your... Morgan. Oh, Morgan. Okay. Um, the female that's the bad guy mm-hmm. in the patriarchal yep. version. And it retells it from her perspective. And I you know that that would be wonderful to do with a lot of these egyptian um to, to do the tale of two brothers but from the perspective of the female how could you redo that or to redo cleopatra as not the seducer of good roman men but someone who's maybe not as hot and like is using, her, know, wits using her wits and, and you know politics and all these other things and sexuality and sexuality but by being but because it's i don't know you don't have to be hot to still be sexy and she has to be uh, like a ten. No, she and she must have been sexy to have all of these yeah, children with think, these Roman I warlords. Her, her personality, I think, was must have been. And I think her her body preparations. <laughs> I mean, she's still, she's still in, in Arabic text was known as being a physician, mm-hmm. um, able to maintain a youthly vigor even into a middle age for the ancient world. Okay. Um, but anyway, in these films, the woman is often masculinized at her peril. And I would put The Mummy or Cleopatra. Lots of these movies allow the woman of great elite stature to lead an army. And she always does it badly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or to, to fight as a warrior, and she will be beaten um, in The Mummy in particular, because yeah. Rachel Weiss is going to beat Bianca Sinama. Yeah. Right? Um, and because she's fighting dirty or, or not with true well, honor like, or whatever. Well, Rachel Weiss's weird past life character is the Pharaoh's daughter, so she's more just and righteous, so she can win against the mother. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these women in these films are taking power that is not rightfully theirs um, through deceit and trickery, and that's a common theme whereas the men take the power through the the edge of the the blade of the sword yeah. and that is somehow honorable and good and the way the women do it yeah, is wrong so misogyny. yeah the typical patriarchal tropes yeah. they're all there yep. they're all there all there mm-hmm. but add on a layer of orientalism it gets mm-hmm. more more of the fetishization yeah. of the, the female body yeah okay and always so young there's not a whole lot of older female no. women no. or female women. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of female people um, in, in these films. They're always young. extraordinarily young and wily in their, in their youth. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise it's just men. Mm-hmm. Race. Yeah. So many mm-hmm. of these movies have been criticized, mm-hmm. rightfully so, for casting European white and not just european if they hired a bunch of greek people that would be something yeah. but they're hiring but know, like british, germans and british yeah, type northern people. europeans yeah to play ancient egyptians yeah they're playing they're using a bunch of norsemen <laughs> in the ancient world yeah to, just or they're yeah. not even even they're just hiring maybe even just big name actors or actresses they're not even thinking about well People are thinking Looks, about but it. But if they had done it for, if they hired a bunch of 
say black people for mm-hmm. some reason people would be like why are you? Yeah. that's not accurate um you know this is you can't get more tricky than this subject you cannot get more tricky you know, than this subject we get asked all the time because if you try to cast a person of color and that would be an african person mm-hmm. well let me no let me just make it broader if you try to cast a person of color and it's somebody from west asia who's middle eastern it's still not going to be on point for a North African Egyptian. And we will still be able to tell. Like my, the cover of my book, The Woman Who Would Be King. And they showed me the cover and I'm like, this is horrible. I said, what did you hire some Syrian woman to be on the cover? And they said, no, she's Lebanese. And I said, well, okay, thank you. I'm glad that I at least can judge phenotypes well enough. And that's my, you know, the fact that we can do that is extraordinary as human beings. And I'm glad that we're all getting more messed up. So these things become more difficult. But it was obvious that this woman wasn't North African, yeah. the model that they used. Yep. And I said, why are you even showing a face like this? Why can't you let people have in their know. head who Hatshepsut is? And, you know, she's a, she's a woman of Thebes. She's an upper Egyptian. She's going to have a darker skin yeah. than, certainly than a woman of Lebanon. And so they darkened her skin and gave her a nose job. And I'm like, okay, you know, I don't even know what to say. And we had a big fight about that cover and I still have a problem with that cover, but it is what it is. Um, well, this always gets so hard, but anytime they try to do these reconstructions mm-hmm. of faces and mummies mm-hmm. and all this stuff, and it's like, why are we doing this one? But for a movie, you have to, right? You have yeah. to pick actors or actresses to play these roles. But what do we do? This is our orientalizing. We put Egypt into the category of Middle East. Yep. We hire somebody or cast somebody who is Middle Eastern. Yeah. And then it's fine. It's yep. just done. But if you live in this part of the or world. Or not even Middle Eastern. Like, no. White. Yes, that's true. Like, but let's say now they're trying to be woke about it. Yeah. And they'll cast somebody who's Middle Eastern yeah. and say, oh, well, we've got Gal Gadot. She is of the Mediterranean. Jesus, so really. shut yeah. up. And you don't know what you're talking about. And then other people say, yes, but with diaspora and Ashkenazi Jews, and she's actually more European and white than she is Middle Eastern, but okay. And, and then people are like, oh my God, now you're just getting too much into the weeds. But these things are sensitive topics for oh. people who want to see yeah. themselves represented as they actually and that's are. What you think. Mm-hmm. ancient Egypt look like yeah. and it comes into all this stuff yeah and it even gets so problematic that if we brought an Egyptian here to talk about these things which we will do when COVID it opens up back again and we can have more guests and we will have an Egyptian guest and we will say let's see how that conversation goes but like how do Egyptians feel want, about yeah. casting and even especially within Egypt these conversations get quite fraught where somebody from the south says i am not feeling depicted by the casting choices that are colonial Mm -hmm. and obviously choosing people of lighter skin compared to what i actually Mm -hmm. have and so within egypt that now with two dams being built one in sudan and one in ethiopia finds its own place in the african continent as being more problematic than it would like um with with centuries of colonialism throughout North yeah. Africa, mm-hmm. creating ideas that lighter skin is of more value than darker skin. These ideas of race, phenotypes, skin color are more fraught than you can possibly imagine. And it means that casting decisions need to take that uh, into consideration and yeah. do the best job that they can. Yeah. It's, it's, this is not easy. It's not easy at all. No. But just casting an all-white cast, well, it seems to be the easy way out. So they're like, okay, we'll make well, them all we just don't care about it then. No. Yeah. Yeah. Or even try to address it at all. Mm-hmm. And we'll just go with famous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
So this this is where, but I think all of that's why Prince of Egypt it's a cartoon, so you can make them. And yet, all of the voice actors are white people. Yes, that's true. I, I maybe they had one voice. You'd have to look. No, I think they're all white people. I think they're all famous. Um, and I I'm putting Jewish Americans into that category yeah. of white people. Um, I think most Jewish Americans would fall into that category. So it's, um, you know, this is, this is tricky stuff. And I think all we can do, because there is no ace in the hole that's going to solve this yeah. problem. Well, that's what whenever we, I have some questions coming up about being consultants on these things. Mm-hmm. They always ask us, what do they look like? It's like, I don't know. And the amount of migrations and intermixing <laughs> and, you know, the, the, what color were they? I don't know. The blendings a of lot. human beings yeah. that have happened in the last 2,000 years, 3,000 years, 4,000 years is a lot. Yep. And so we can try to project back in time what people might have looked like 4,000 years ago, 3,000 years so ago. Egypt today, there's a yeah. lot of difference. If you go to Egypt today, and, and, and this some is just a little... Lighter, some people are darker, some people have straighter hair, some people have curlier hair. Like We'll put a, this in the show notes, but there's a wonderful National Geographic long-term study mm-hmm. of genetic North Africanness of Egyptian people. And they've determined, looking at the modern Egyptian population and comparing it to whatever genetic strains of, of from antiquity, yeah. different haplogroups, et cetera. And I, I'm not a geneticist, so I don't know, but we'll mm-hmm. put the studies in there. But they determined that some 70% of Egyptians share the genetic uh, makeup of, of ancient Egyptians. Or North Africa. And firmly, and that's that's great. Even with an Arab invasion and people speaking Arabic in Egypt, it doesn't mean that with that so-called Arab invasion, that these people are all Arab. They're not at all. They're North African, and there is an there was an elite replacement, and there are people of a of a West Asian genetic makeup. But um, yeah, it's. I mean, really, I would say that a lot of the the issues in Egypt about race being situated in Africa, identity, a lot of it has to do with an Arab identification simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And that colonialism and yeah, it, its roots its roots go deep. Yeah. The, that Arab colonialism and then an the Ottoman next, colonialism yeah. and then a European, French, then British colonialism, these roots go so deep, it's so hard to extricate oneself from those colonial wounds to know what oneself is, this is this is as tricky as you can yeah. possibly get. Yeah. And if you want to start a Twitter war, seriously, just you know, go on there and say the ancient Egyptians were black and then people will flip out mm-hmm. and start sharing their pictures of how white they are. And then somebody will say, well, but the ancient Egyptians are white and they'll say no. And it's it's so yeah. confusing it's a conversation. Neither. No. And um, it's it, there are all kinds of claims of ancient Egypt. There always have been, there always will be, but film and media makes those claims that much more hot. Because I think the visual is... You have to make choices. Visual is very impactful upon people. Yes, it is. Right? So you see something and then that sticks with you for... Something for as simple time. as, if you're going to cast an Egyptian or a Southern, say you're going to cast a Southern Egyptian mm-hmm. and you cast an American of color who has a background that is West African, People see it yep. and they're like, wait, they're not East African, they're West African. And you yep. can just see it. Oh, yeah. And and people have issues with that. These are the kinds of things the human brain is able to do. And we get uncomfortable with these kinds of casting decisions. And so here, when we're talking about authenticity, uh, 
how authentic can you, we can't make it authentic. That's it's what impossible. I'm like, why it's impossible. Is, like people get all their panties in a twist about that. Yeah. But then don't get upset when like Christian Bale gets cast as Moses. And I'm like, <laughs> to me, it's the same thing. Yeah. So like, if we're not going to care, then they should just cast the best actor for the role. Yeah. Um, you can't have it both. But if the quote unquote best both. actors are always white, exactly. then we have That's a problem. And, right. And then that gets, and I, my point is also that it's there's racism mm-hmm. inherently involved. Yeah. That they're okay with the white actors playing an ancient Egyptians, but they're not okay with black Americans playing yeah. ancient Egyptians. Yeah. Where I'm like, that's both not right. Yeah. Um, so I don't really care. because um, there's no way to actually get a full authenticity. There's here. no way to get real authenticity. So I'd rather just have the best actor for the role Agreed. without being Agree to some extent. I think that extent, one I needs to I, walk the line of trying to find somebody who's a good actor, who can actually ambiguous. Yeah, but who can who can fit in some yeah. way and who isn't offensive to most yes. of the people yeah. watching. Sure. I like I said. I think I'd rather have a black actor do it than a white person play somebody in ancient Egypt. Egypt. Yeah, I, I think don't think modern Egyptians would want that because then they would feel appropriated by a black Africa that they don't identify with or place it. Yeah. Right, right or wrong. This is, this Mm -hmm. is the way it is. So, and, and remember that. So they'd rather have the white identity. Oh yes. I would say most of the time. Yes. Um, So keep in mind that the word black, while we have radically reclaimed it and made it into a positive uh, identity rather than not this word for the modern egyptians is not a positive word and so to impose that Amer- american positivity onto a sure. north african northeast african reality is also its own kind of colonialism or appropriation or uh we know better than you and uh yes, egyptians sure. should be allowed to yeah. create their own identity even in a messy colonial reality of deep scars and wounding as, as we all have. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. With these, with media and movie industry being so global, mm-hmm. it's like, how will you make everyone happy? Yeah. And, and one of the safest things to do is to just hire Egyptians. When yeah. you're doing Egyptian films, hire Egyptian actors. They do exist and they can oh, yeah. act. I mean, Egypt is the, isn't oh. it like the Hollywood of the, of the Middle East? Of the Middle East? Yes, it is. Lebanon was taking over for a little bit. And now, you know, so as I understand it, they're still in neck and neck. But yes. Big industry there. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, okay. We're going to pivot a bit a bit um, to more of stuff work we've done. Uh-huh. So we've both been historical consultants yeah. on TV shows and movie projects, which we cannot talk about because a lot of them were under NDA. Yeah we're going to talk broadly about okay um so why do you think it's important to have people like us on staff for a project if we're not on staff for a project a good consultant a Mm -hmm. consultant that's paid a wage that's low enough that they'll actually keep you there for hours at a time not so high that they're like oh we need to save our money and not have this person there tell us stuff and then okay bye and then that's it Yeah. yeah You need to have a presence so that you can see how decision, because in a media project, whether it's a video game or a ride or, you know, we've worked on all kinds of things. 
but whatever that is, decisions are made in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of moments that aren't just on the consulting Zoom or the consulting discussion. And if you're around, then you can head something off at the pass so that it doesn't turn into a problem that is very expensive and hard to undo. You know what it's like to read a script or to or to watch something that has been developed and then yeah. to go, oh, well, you're gonna have to undo all of this. And then they're like, we can't, we can't. We've yeah. already is a bridge too far. We've already sunk all of this money into it. This is what we have. And then it's a real problem for the consultant. When it's like their main focus isn't the accuracy or things like this, where it's that's your main focus. Mm-hmm. So you can step in in those instances where they're trying to they're thinking about so many other things. Yeah. Um, where it's nice to have one person whose sole focus is to be like, well, like, you know, I've worked this way or, uh, I worked on lots of film sets mm-hmm. back in the day and either with my own work as a, a talking head on a set mm-hmm. or, um, having worked on film sets before everyone on that film set has a different agenda. There's a person that's keeping everyone on time. There's a person that's looking at people's outfits and makeup. There's the person that wants the sound to be fucking perfect. Yes. And all of these agendas clash with the other agenda. And the actors want to, you know, get their emotions right. And the sound person is like, but you're moving your hand in a weird way. And I can hear that. It's picking up on the, on the mic or whatever. The consultant should be part of that setup so that, they can then get in the mix and say, but what about my agenda? My agenda is not being heard. But they need to be part of that setup, not when it's being filmed, but way before it. They need to be a part of the writer's room. They need to be part of the development before when it's being outlined. Um, they need to be a part of casting decisions. They need to be a part of costuming. Um, they need to be a part of locations, logistics. Um, all kinds of decisions uh, need to be it need to involve a consultant Multiple, and, probably yes and sometimes a consultant it's like uh, the malcolm gladwell book blink where you something's off and you don't know what it is and the consultant needs to be allowed to not know everything we don't freaking time travel you know i don't do your time machine that's what's well, so that that's the hardest thing for me is they ask you these questions where as an academic you're like well like we don't we can't know that mm-hmm. but then they want an answer and you need to be like, you know, well, from my perspective or my intuition is saying this, but it's so, as academics, we're taught not to fall into that. But when you're, when you're on these things, they ask you these very pointed questions, you know, yeah. what would have this been like, uh, you know, very human aspects of things. And you're like, well, I don't know. Like, we don't have evidence. We don't have evidence for that. Um, a consultant and you have to kind of be able to pivot and be like well there's this other close thing so maybe it would have looked similar to this or I mean they throw you this hardball and you're like whoa I don't know you need this space to be able to think about it and be creative be creative with them and then come back with well okay here's what I think it could be this or could be that yeah and so much of the time there is an extraordinary impatience Mm -hmm. and a budget of time yes such that you don't get that you you have to in that moment come up with something right away and if you can't, the moment's passed. Well, and sometimes it's like what the answer is they don't like mm-hmm. or doesn't fit with their mm-hmm. aesthetic or whatever they're going for. Mm-hmm. And, and they're just going to be like, okay, well, we're not going to do that. And so it's it's hard to let some of the accuracy go yeah. and just say, okay, like, you know. So when you see movies and there are historical consultants, like, there has to be compromise. There's always things. compromise. Like, and it's never exactly how you want it to be. 
no. you know, we want no. it historically accurate, perfectly, and all these things. No. And, and sometimes we just don't know. And when you don't know and you say, oh, we don't really have any evidence for this. I'm not really sure. That's not the things, answer they want. No. And sometimes <laughs> that's like, when things uh, get made up in ways like, okay, that. They're like, okay, think that? And you're yeah. like, what do I think? Well, you know, we were working <sighs> on, on that one thing that we won't talk about yeah. where we, where you were making anemones. And we had a big discussion. Mm -hmm. What's it made out of? What is it made of? And so is it made of cloth, which is what they went with because cloth. And I'm like, it's leather. I think it's leather because it doesn't have this cloth sort of feel. I think it's more of a leather sort of, and to have the tail, it makes it, I think it was leather. We made the tail of it. Oh, you did. Um, I think the whole thing was We had it wrapped in leather. And and it makes the folds make sense. Mm -hmm. But you need, you know, there there are things that we haven't been able to build or make. One. We don't have enemies. No. So. No. And never will. Because really? those things were kept like the sorting hat. You don't put that in the tomb. But it's kind of fun because it's like experimental in a way. Yeah. You can see, like, would it have worked this far? And it's the way when, when we got the linen cloth out and you see the body moving in it and you try to pleat it, you're like, oh my goodness, this is, it's so, it's almost off-putting for us because yeah. when we see that cloth on the body of Nefertari, in her tomb in two dimensions, it's a very different feel than when you put it on a real human body. It, it, it almost seems fake and and bizarre. Yeah. Yeah, Wrinkly and weird. Yeah. 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 It needs to be dirtier. It needs to have more patina, more human body oils in it. It's too white and too perfect when you do it. it And I think the flax that we, we can get at a fabric store is so bleached and white. Well, that's what, when I was doing that, I was looking at, buy vintage linen from uh, like the 1800s from like Amsterdam and I was like thinking that would have been more closer to yeah like more hand uh, done stuff but then maybe the fine linen would have been very white but it can't mm-hmm. have been that white it can't have been as yeah, just it, it looks wrong it needs to be a more yellowy kind mm-hmm. of look yeah. but anyway but these are things it's, it's always very hard right yeah. they want it they want these answers they want clear answers they want Oh, show us a picture of this. What what would this look like? And what you know, all these things. Yeah. And it's it's always hard. Yeah, it gets very frustrating. To, to you know, answer the question and give them what they want, but also remain true in some sort to mm-hmm. historical accuracy. Mm-hmm. But it's fun. I enjoy it. It's the one part fun part about being in LA. We get all these and the fun more the more of a web presence. I might have people then yes. find me and then I am too busy, but, and so I send this work to, to my students, students and, um, it's fun. and it's, it's great. It's always fun. Yeah, yeah. It's good. We haven't had as much lately. I just think of the COVID. I think you're right. Like, um, but there, but we did work a lot. We did do some work over COVID. We, we were really mm-hmm. ramping up right before COVID yeah. and then like two or three projects shut down. Yeah. So we'll see, um, what opens back up again. I'm hopeful. Hopefully, some maybe some new things coming out that uh, address some of these issues and are hopefully not a uh, subject to them. Right? right. Yeah. Well, no. Everything's going to be, as you say, a compromise. Everything's going to be a difficult. Compromise, but hopefully, no more exodus and God's Egypt shenanigans. We'll see. Um, still yeah. We'll see what the new uh, Cleopatra is. I think there'll be shenanigans. And and what makes me most. Um, worried about the Cleopatra situation is white feminists can do a whole lot of willful not seeing because they're women and they can say, oh, this is a woman's story. And thus they can tell a white woman's story rather than 
a different woman's story. And I'm not saying Cleopatra wasn't a white woman in Egypt. She was, but I don't think they're going to tell that story of the colonial oppression of the Egyptians. I think they're going to tell the story of the the victimhood of Cleopatra, which is, it's a problem. It's a problem. Very sure. Well, thank you. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Um, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on some of these things at a later point. Maybe if we ever get our Amelia Peabody. Oh, we have to get that going, don't we? going. That's some good reception. Let me finish my Coffins book first, and then we'll get that's all right. Amelia Peabody, and I'll start reading, and we can read them together as a I podcast. I think that's a good portrayal. Obviously, I think it'd be it's super not fun. Egypt. It'd be it's, super fun. Um, you know, it's like 18, late 1800s Egyptology. Yeah. I think it's good. I think it'd be super fun. And then we can criticize and have a little book group. So look forward to that. I think um, we're going to start, we can start that in like May. She said confidently. We can start that. Oh, we just have to pressure her. Amber's looking like, I mean, good luck. I've reread those books so many times. I've never, never read them. I read like the first two pages and I'm like, oh my God, this is taxing to my brain. They're fun. They're so fun. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. This was super fun discussion. Super Thanks fun. for yeah, it's great. Um, if you like us, you know, give us a follow on your favorite podcasting uh, outlet. Uh, leave us a review. Um, send us emails with suggestions of topics you want to see covered. Um, where can where can they find you on your socials? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Karakuni. You can find me at Facebook Karakuni Egyptologist. You can find me at Instagram at Karakuni. Um and YouTube, YouTube. Um, we still have yeah. all of our YouTube videos up. Yeah. Your website, uh, Karakuni uh, Egyptologist dot com. Yeah. Thank you. Amber's <laughs> <laughs> like Karakuni yes. Egyptologist. <laughs> <laughs> uh, book um, still still good to go. The book is still doing well, and um, those of you who like The Good Kings, go to Amazon and give that one some stars and some love too, because the right wing has been piling on. So that would be really nice yes. to try to turn that uh around but, out of here. yeah but it's 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 doing well and getting lots of um interesting feedback and i'll have an op-ed about that coming out soon so we could, we could do an episode on good kings and review oh that would be fun see you. um but thanks a lot jordan this is a really fun discussion yeah. okay thank you guys see you next episode on after lives with kara cooney Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, karakuniegyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack After Lives After Party. You can find me on Facebook at Karakuni Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Karakuni. See you next time on After Lives with Karakuni. <laughs>